Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Green Pill, where real people connect. Hello, and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. It's Shireen here with you today, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Hilmarie. Hi, Hilmarie. How are you doing today? Hey, Shireen. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing good as well. Thank you. That's great. We have another fantastic episode today with a truly inspiring guest. Do you want to tell us about her? Yes, we do. And I will for sure. So our guest today is Ansi Alexander. Ansi is an entrepreneur, a dance enthusiast, an advocate for equal opportunities in education and performing arts for people of all abilities. Early in her childhood, it was identified that she was born with cerebral palsy, a condition which affected her walking. So let us dive into Ansi's inspiring story and find out more about what she does. Yes, she truly has a really amazing story. Ansi, I'm really so excited to be chatting with you today. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Helmary and Shireen. Lovely introduction there. Really, really uh, delighted to be chatting with the both of y'all. And thank you once again for this opportunity. Really excited. Yeah, me too. So lovely to have you here. So Ansi, could you please tell our listeners where you are from and give us some background information about yourself? Right. So I am originally from Kerala. That's where my parents are from. Uh, but I'm born and raised here in Dubai. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, like you mentioned in the introduction, a dance enthusiast with cerebral palsy. So my condition has left me affected waist down. But otherwise, that's primarily who I am, an entrepreneur and a dance enthusiast. So lovely. So I know that you, you mentioned now that you are passionate about dancing, Tell us, how did that passion start for you? Well, that's a lovely question, uh, Helmary. How did it start? Well, dance was prescribed by the doctor for my condition as something to support my physiotherapy session. So as any Asian uh, Indian parents would be, my parents were very, very worried um, when they found out that uh, I had a condition like cerebral palsy, um, which does not have any cure. Um, and physiotherapy was uh, something that had to start immediately. And the doctors strongly suggested that I do physical activities like swimming and dancing, uh, just so that there is no risk of muscle wastage um, or any other complications that usually are associated with cerebral palsy. Um, so honestly, that's how dance started. It was prescribed by the doctor. Wow. Oh, wow. So so when you say physiotherapy, is it through the dancing, through the move, and as you said, through building the muscles, or is there something else involved with that? Well, physiotherapy as is was just to ensure that there, uh, to arrest the possibility of further muscle wastage as I would grow up and to strengthen my muscles and to improve my balance. But is it not interesting that all elements of physiotherapy uh, for that purpose is very much embedded um, in any dance system uh, that requires training, any classical dance. And I don't necessarily mean Indian classical, it, even ballet or contemporary. So it was, uh, it was quite interesting that the doctor thought of that as a support system uh, for physiotherapy for me, it, like in the late 80s. That was very interesting. Yeah, fantastic. And it was obviously a successful. I, I don't know how successful it was for my mom because uh, she was freaking out. So all she <laughs> did was make sure that I turned up for dance class the same way I turn up for academics, uh, show up for academics. Um, there was no excuse. You were like, 
fortunately, I was able to attend mainstream school. So my mom was like, okay, she's, she's affected physically, but we're going to make the best use of whatever mental and intellectual capacity this one's got. Uh, so academics was a very high priority um, at home. Um, so I was one of those kids who was never allowed a day off for a tummy ache. I'd rather go to school than be at home. Um, and then have mom come back from work and follow up on uh, if I've caught up with lessons for the day and what's my homework. So I'd, I'd happily just go to school then be at home for it. And even Damn. dance class. Yeah, absolutely. And my, my mom was a complete drill master. And she made sure that uh, dance training, like you have to practice, like when you're doing something like in, in Indian classical, like or any classical dance, you have to practice at home. You can't just show up for class and uh, just have a jolly time. So I had to, like, I had to do homework. I had to practice my dance lessons. I, it, it kind of felt like I was in a mini military boot camp. Wow. But I, also many, think many it, I think it was also the time, right? I think times have changed so much. Absolutely. But I think back then, I think for most kids, uh, we grew up with parents that expected us to be, be working a lot harder, um, from from very young i remember seeing you dance with uh, a vega uh, dance creations at the junction a couple of years ago i think it was called ras the five stories or shades of love shades of love that's right yes it was absolutely beautiful you guys did a phenomenal job Um, so how did you get into doing indian classical dance styles i think this is called what you did there with ras was called fusion so how did you That's get into right. all of that? Wow. Uh, so all credit for Ross. Um, uh, Shades of Love goes to Shruti Ramation, who is the artistic director um, of the company and the founder. Uh, so Avega Dance Creations is her baby and the Ross uh, was her maiden dance drama production. Um, so Shruti is uh, not just a friend. She is a soul sibling um, who I met as a part of my Katak training, um, which I started uh, in my mid twenties. Um, so she was there randomly in dance class one day or when I walked in um, and we got chatting and then we've never looked back. And um, it's fantastic that, uh, you know, that friendship really uh, blossomed and, uh, you know, we like, we like family now. And when she launched Avega Dance Creations, she said, Ross is going on stage. Um, that was a time in my life where I had taken a sabbatical from active dance training um, and I wasn't really feeling like it. There was a lot of self-criticism. I'm very, very glad that she put her foot down and made sure that I got on that stage and performed. That was, that was honestly how Ross happened. Amazing. And in, yeah. And, and at times you need someone who, who can really be persistent with the, uh, trying to get you out of your shell in life. That's, um, so that was a massive blessing. What a beautiful story. Absolutely. So that's how, and it was her vision entirely, like Indian uh, classical fused with uh, global, other global dance styles uh, and presenting uh, shades of love, um, you know, uh, through that format of storytelling. It was entirely her idea, and I'm extremely grateful to her for having the confidence in me and for encouraging me to get on stage and uh, um, be a part of that uh, 
journey. So lovely. Amazing. Ansi, I know that you also attended a creative movement and inclusive choreography training in the United States, as well as in India and even here in Dubai. Could you tell us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So to be very, very honest, uh, Shirin, I did not have any idea about creative movement or inclusive choreography um, for the longest time. Like I just danced because I love dancing. I attended uh, Bharatanatyam training when I was maybe six years old. And um, so six to nine, or six to nine or six to 10, maybe. That was my very first training. Um, and I did not know. I was learning, receiving my very first instructions in Bharatanatyam from a legend. Um, his name is Melator S. Natarajan. We lost him just last month and and it was definitely the saddest moment like I've not I do not think I've experienced grief like that um in my life to be very honest I'm so sorry thank you but it was it was just you know it's one of those things where you're 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 the disciple of a legend but he had no air of a legend around him he was just a down-to-earth extremely simple very generous teacher um, and a phenomenal, phenomenal artist. Um, And what he did for me when I was growing up, like he made sure I had space to learn that was absolutely inclusive. Um, He did not make me uh, stand out and just watch other people, you know, do things with their body, which I could not do. In fact, I did not even grow up with a complete or accurate idea of what my limitation was because of the training that I've received from him. Amazing. And I think that was phenomenal, you know, to talk about it. And it's not, it's not popular, especially within the Indian classical uh, system, dance system. It's not popular to have a differently able student in class and to impart just equal training at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. The only difference was that I had to show up for class about 20 minutes before my other um, dance batchmates would and I had like a set of exercises to do and I just thought he was being hard on me and this is just mom being mom that you know I had to get the extra uh, little 20 minutes of uh, warm-up and stretching and all of that to prepare me for class and then he'd just take that conduct that class with just right absolutely no difference between an able-bodied student and me and what he did also do was ensure that there was a lot of respect for authentic art and a commitment to process um, a commitment to um, discipline which I didn't know of course I was too 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 young uh, to recognize this and then in my mid-20s after running away I ran away from my dance class to join karate classes by the way oh, wow. which I'm not proud of so this, is, <laughs> this is just I was like because I, I just assumed that mom having no martial arts background would not be able to compel me to practice karate at home so I just stole money that was given to me to be handed over as fees for my dance class and I just called them and came up with the story that my parents didn't want me to dance anymore and then I told my parents that they didn't want me to come for dance class anymore. My goodness. I <laughs> All of this aged 11 or 12. I do not know what I was doing. Um, but I did that. I did that. And then I went for karate class for a few years. 
I, got, I managed to get a brown belt uh, and um, in, without any broken arms and broken ribs, managed to come out of that. Um, I was my mid-20s when I wanted wow. to train. Yeah, when I went to train in um, Indian Classical again, that happened to be Kathak, which is extremely complicated for somebody who is uh, physically challenged, especially waist down, because Kathak has a very few interesting movements like the spins, um, and very quick spins, which is very difficult for me, um, quite impossible, to be honest. Uh, but I wanted to learn. And I, again, had the phenomenal opportunity to be awed by uh, Guru Pali Chandra, who was another living legend. Um, and she was, again, very open, very welcoming. Uh, and she, she gave me a space where she truly celebrated what I could do than just focus on what I could not do. And oh, that, fantastic. Yeah, that shift, I think, was uh, remarkable for me and, and truly changed the way I felt. Till then, I was just dancing for myself. It was more performance. And once I embarked on training in Kathak under Paliji, that's when I guess my priority in life completely changed. I knew I wanted to do something with dance that was more than just performing. Um, I knew and not I run, to... run away from it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And not run away from it. I used to be extremely self-critical. Um, although I grew up enjoying choreographing and getting on stage and I loved choreographing other people. Um, just, just any opportunity to dance, I, I would love uh, to take that. And uh, from there, I remember as I, uh, you know, in my 20s, I was very skeptical, very self-critical. I was like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know, getting on stage and being differently able, just super self-critical. So to just come out from that shell and getting into the zone where, where I'm not boxed by my own criticism. I'm not going and kind of confining self, myself to other people's expectations from my body. That shift was very, very important, I think. And I'm glad that it happened um, while I was training in Kathak. And there's been no looking back ever since. So I knew I had to do uh, more extensive uh, and specific training for inclusive choreography and teaching inclusive dance and uh, creative movement therapy. And that really set me on that path. Amazing. Yeah. And we will definitely touch on more about your path with dance. Uh, but before we do, I do want to touch on the fact that I know you are also a yogi, right? Um, tell us, how did you start? <laughs> Yoga, again, uh, is something that I discovered a bit too late in my life because the importance of yoga was just not available to me uh, till I returned to dance again um, in my mid-20s. When Kathak training was happening, is that's when I recognized that yoga is just a part of dance training. Like, um, unless you're, you're viewing dance as just a very physical um, activity, you know, if you want to look at dance as a Zumba activity, you can do that. But if you're using or if you're training in dance as a discipline, then it really requires the support of, you know, verticals like yoga and Pilates and strength training and all of those things. It's, it's all a part of dance training. So that's really how I 
um, got interested in and started cultivating an interest in yoga. Okay. Now, Ansi, some people might not be aware about what cerebral palsy is. Could you explain a little bit about this condition for us and our audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, so cerebral palsy, the definition has expanded in the last few years, of course, with the advancement of science. Uh, but basically what it means is a child, while it's in the mother's womb or in the during um, uh, labor, could affect a little bit of um, um, what you could call a little bit of a shock that would uh, kind of cut off oxygen supply to the baby and it affects the brain. Oh, oh wow. So, yeah. So when that happens, that impact could I mean, that impact could be like a bigger portion. So you know how your brain has different compartments for different activities. Yes. So it really yes. is a matter of which which departments, if you want to call it that, which um, sections are affected. So the section of my brain that got affected is the one associated with activities waste below. But right. for some other people, it could be speech. It could be other motor functions. It could be visibility of uh, vision, um, you know. Uh, is it something that just happens by accident in the womb? Like it's nothing that the mom can control or prevent? No, 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 it's not. It's, I mean, it could be just, uh, you know how you've heard of things like the cord kind of uh, going around the baby's throat. Yes. You know, it could be something. It, it's not really something you can control. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you can't predict. And it, it could be even be like a little bit of a stress um, that the mom goes through when she's giving birth to the child, just at the moment of uh, delivery. I've also heard that you can acquire cerebral palsy in the first few weeks after the child's born. Um, so that's um, oh. that's an expansion on cerebral palsy I've heard, where you know there's a sudden jolt almost, and there's that cutoff that happens. It's like a shutdown in your brain, and then uh, once you're out from that, you I don't see. know. You you can't predict. Um, you know, some of it, you know, you can you can control, uh, you can revive certain activities, uh, certain functions in the body, uh, but it's not fully curable. Okay. Right. So the degree and the part of the body that's or the part of the brain that's affected uh, changes from person to person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every case is different. Right. So can you share some of your experiences and struggles that you've had? because of cerebral palsy? Oh, um, well, struggles. Um, I remember not being able to do much sports at school. Um, and again, I did not have an accurate understanding of my disability till I was about 12 something. Uh, so I did not realize that the way I was walking was visibly different. I knew I could not run um, fast enough. I knew that I um, I had many, many accidents uh, growing up. Like, you know, somebody would come from the back. You know how kids just push each other around? Um, right. so if somebody tried to just give me a casual push, it, I'd just topple over and I'd be injured because I'd have, I just have no balance um, to just stay up on my feet. So that would happen a lot. Um, and slowly... I, you know, it was oh. obvious I couldn't I couldn't be a part of the uh, the physical um, activities at school. Like basketball uh, was out of my um, uh, schedule. I couldn't really do any races. I couldn't, and I, but I still would. I'd go and attempt because I just had no idea, right? Like I had no uh, accurate understanding of ANSI. You just cannot do a few things. So I'd just go and randomly attempt like getting selected for long jump 
and I'm like, God's sake, I can't jump. Like, <laughs> to get selected. What am I thinking? Now it's funny, but I just go and I try all these Did you ever I, ask your mom? No, I just I just knew that it was very sensitive. It's mom and dad, like, and I'm complete daddy's girl, especially for him. So every time I'd like, you know, have an accident at school and come back with like, scraped knees and scraped elbows like he'd always like be crying and he'd be the one sitting and comforting me um and he'd just not like leave me like he'd just hold on to me for the rest of the day if I've had like uh, uh, if I'd come back injured that way and uh, he just um it, 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 so I just knew they were very sensitive about this but I guess somewhere just before I turned 13 is that that's such a complicated age to even find out what's going on with you like this um I, I saw my reflection um you know on a on a door that just happened to have a glass surface I saw my reflection and I was like oh my god I walk different like that's oh, a wow. very different way of walking I had no idea and the world came crashing down because 13, like when you're about to be hit 13, Aww. is such a complex age where you just That's are like, oh no. I was like, that just did not sit well with me. And I carried that for a very, very long time after that. You know, but credit to your parents for not limiting you or not raising you from very small with limiting beliefs letting you go out giving you the you know dancing and supporting you and so that you didn't see yourself as different because they didn't treat you and put you in a bubble and try and protect you from every single thing so i think yeah, that exactly. that's the positive on that so what are some common misconceptions about people of determination and their abilities Ooh, i love that question Henry. love it love that question so I have come across a ton of people who assume that the moment they see someone with a disability or a condition, um, they've already assumed what that individual can and cannot do. That is wrong at so many levels. And I think if you could just deal with, or if you could start having lesser assumptions about people um, who appear to be different, that, that, that's just half the problem solved. Right. So don't judge people. Absolutely. Decide ahead of time. Just Absolutely. I've, uh, I'm like, all right, uh, there are people who see me walking, for example, and they're like, oh, like, can we help you? We're so sorry. They're like, oh, what happened? I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'm differently able to have cerebral palsy. And they'd be so sorry they asked the question. I'm like, it's all right. It's okay to ask me what, what happened. It's okay that it's, it's normal. I'm glad you're a normal human being. But after that, I'm like, hang on a second. But if you're headed into a meeting, you may want to be careful. Like, you don't want to carry that sympathy with you into the boardroom because you're going to deal with a different beast in there. Right. So let's just put that on, on the table. Um, but especially in dance, I think that's where I've faced it the most. Uh, Hail Mary, I've had so many. I, I've, I'm, I, I believe I'm someone who's been incredibly blessed with some phenomenal gurus uh, in, in my dance and uh, training. But I've also um, suffered a lot of pain from the rejection um, that I've received from teachers, dance teachers, dance instructors, who've just not known what to do with a differently abled individual in their dance class. So it's easier for them to ask you to oh, just be right at the end, back of class or just sit and watch what everyone else is doing. 
because it's comfortable for you to choreograph or teach dance to somebody who comes with a lot of flexibility, balance, and agility. But the moment those basic capabilities are not there in a body that wishes to dance, most people would be just confused. They wouldn't know how to choreograph or teach a person who is different. It's still sad that they don't, they're not even willing to try and step out of their own comfort zones, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes, it takes I think, uh, you, you really have to be a master of your art, uh, you know, to be able to explain bammed from where you are and to kind of like impart information knowledge instruction to a body that is not conventional you really really have to be a master yeah. of um, your discipline because it's not possible like and that's that's where I think I want to say something that's a massive realization for me that's the difference in performance versus process so if it's performance if you're always geared for performance and that's what unfortunately I also see a lot of differently able people who um, sign up for you know um, dance training or any performing arts training there is this urgency to perform right but the urgency to perform is like the urgency to reach your destination. Like, I just want to get there and you're just not enjoying the journey. But if you just submit doesn't matter to the how. process. Exactly. It doesn't matter how. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to take a super budget ticket. I'm going to just quickly get to that place. And I'm just, I just don't care. I just want to tell everybody that I've visited this place. I've been to Italy or I've been to Rome and that's all that I care about. But. That's so different from someone who's probably planned the yeah. trip to Rome and Italy and, you know, who spent like, let's say, 21 days exploring the country and uh, or both cities and just exploring the food there, the culture there. And when you come back, you just come to with all of that information from that experience. Right, of course. It's it's yeah. it's the same thing with performing arts. Like you could uh, you could jump on the stage and you could do something. And the worst is for me something that I see a lot of, especially within South Asian reality uh, shows, are differently able artists coming on stage or differently able talent coming on stage. They do they'd have this little performance, and everybody in the audience and the judges would just weep buckets and buckets of tears, and they'd have this god awful. Uh, sympathetic music playing in the background and I'd like oh god like let's just such a pity party like why why are we doing this um different <laughs> able people are not here to serve it's just uh you know they're not they're not just here to um, serve you inspiration like what inspiration for what are you inspired by the process I'll I'll, I'll be happy with that but you're info- just inspired because Somebody made an attempt to wake up and show up. That's that, that's shallow. You know, it's yes. really shallow, according to me. Right. What interesting insights, though. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you for allowing me to share these with you. Yeah, that was great. And actually, I was going to follow up on what you've said. Has your personal experience, is that what inspired you to start your own dance workshops? Or was it something else? Absolutely my own personal experience. To be very honest, I guess... I just, uh, um, I, get, I got tired, I think, of just witnessing so many people. Like you said, there's this urgency for performance and no, just no commitment to process. 
that really, really concerned me because I've, I think I'm at the receiving end of um, the joy of the process, of committing to the process. So just se my sessions are really designed to try and share a part of that experience with people who may have never, ever had the opportunity to experience that before, really. Right. And so that people don't have to go through what you went through with other dance instructors turning them away or that rejection. Yeah, rejection. And to even just, um, you know, just to be okay with showing up for practice more than uh, being lured into, you know, just, just, um, what do you, just showmanship, like really, like, oh, come on, like, let's just put you on stage and, you know, I'm, I'm sure right. there's going to, let's just, let's just shoot a video kind of like a support group yeah, more than a support group I think an experience and exploration group right because I, um, I there is a lot of that it's about how many followers you've got you know or how many shares or how many likes a video received or um just that's just very small in comparison to you know the just the the healing that happens when you kind of do the same thing over and over again, when you explore micro expressions and micro emotions, when you have the time to enjoy all of that um, with no, with no requirement for a performance at the end of it. So that's just really um, like a group of like-minded people and no judgment zone. Yeah. Now, Ansi, mm -hmm. could you tell us more about your, so you think I can't dance workshops, um, it's such a creative play on words. I really do love that. Yeah, so tell me more about that, please. Uh, sure. Um, so You Think I Can't Dance just floated into my head and I thought it was super cool. I had to use it. It um, is very cool. <laughs> I had to. There's no way I'm not using this name. Um, and I think that was also because um, I was coming from a place of, it, like you said before, watching some performances and uh, just my own experiences where I'm like, you think I can't dance, but have you given it a shot? Like, and at times it's something that you tell yourself as well, like, oh, but I can't dance and I can't dance. But do you really? I definitely can't I, dance. I don't believe that. I do not <laughs> believe that that's impossible movement movement is just so natural to human beings it's in our bodies we really really have to and again um, it is what we call dance there's something very interesting that a friend I met in the U.S. as a part of my um, training program there mentioned I, I thought it was a very very young individual uh, but I thought it was very interesting for him to uh, think of something like this. So he said, the idea of aesthetics is something that has been fed to us. So even if we did see something that was beautiful, just because it's being presented by unconventional bodies, we might not be able to see the beauty in it. Right. And wow. that really, really uh, did something to me. And I thought that was so deep and so meaningful. Um, I thought that was true, you know, like, I think we're trained, we're trained to appreciate, uh, you know, the high jumps and the cartwheels and uh, the plays and, you know, the ballerina flying through the air and just, you know, we're just so used to seeing all that physicality and appreciating all that physicality. But I don't know if art was presented to you by bodies that can do none of those things. It's still art and it can still be beautiful. 
Of course. Yes, that's lovely. And I, I agree with you. You just have to look at a 18 month old or a two year old or a three year old and put some music on. And I, I think universally they just dance, they just move, they just enjoy the, the, the music and, and moving the little bodies and there's no, no steps and, and, and nothing planned about it. So yeah, no routine. <laughs> no routine. And there's, I think the biggest thing is they are not thinking, is someone else watching me? And is someone else enjoying my performance? They're dancing for themselves. Yeah, and but that's the, the beauty of kids, isn't it? That they don't acknowledge all these things yet when they're little. Yeah. They just enjoy life and they just accept everyone as who they are. And, and then exactly. as we society shapes us to have different opinions on religions and cultures and, and colors to of skin. self-conscious. Exactly. Yeah. And our bodies, most important. And standards of beauty and whether or not you can dance or not. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think that's the biggest, I've experienced this myself growing up for the longest, when I took this massive break from active dance training, it was because I was thinking, oh, hang on a second, I'm disabled. Come on, like, who wants, like, what's in it? You know, why do I want to dance? And like, from being someone who dance at any and every given opportunity, I would just dance in my bedroom. I don't want to watch any. I don't want anyone looking at me. I want no eyes on me. And I have no clue where that came from. And then I was like, hang on a second. And then I had a problem. I was like, oh, I don't seem to be as flexible as the other people in this dance class. I don't seem to be able to move quickly. I don't want to perform at all because- Wow, so you know, it's a I, real I, shift. It was. I was like, I don't want to perform at all because I can't move like they do. But hang on a second. I can move the way I do. It's my movement. I can still take you on a journey through my art that can be an experience for you. And if I'm not going to allow myself that as an artist or a dancer, who on earth is going to do that for me? Yes. Amazing. That change from realizing or, or not being so self-conscious about those observing. Uh, lovely. Absolutely. Very nice thoughts. Self-critical. Really yeah. to cut off that self, you know, that cord of self-criticism. It's the hardest thing one can do. And it's, it's like a long, long process. I can't say I'm fully done yet, but it's, it's a crazy ride. But it's worth it. It's Absolutely. worth it when you're, ab- when you're able to break free and come out of it and you're able to commit to your art and when you commit when you're able to commit to a purpose it's it's entirely worth it fantastic so now i know that you focus also on mindfulness in your workshops Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. how are your dance routines different from others my dance routines i try and ensure if this is if i'm not choreographing during my sessions i try and do a combination of creative movement exploration what i mean by that is using inspiration from you know the environment around us from nature day-to-day life to create movement from all of those inspirations and to explore movement that's unique to each person so my idea is or my aim is to not give someone a movement that they can mirror but to tap into their own bodies and own beings to bring out movement from within wow that sounds excellent but how yeah. do you keep your participants motivated when they do struggle with certain moves? Um, I guess you just, one thing that I do usually uh, for my sessions, the ones that I conduct, if it's not 
a more casual choreography. And if the, if it's one of the, so you think like on dance uh, sessions or the last one I conducted just over the weekend called Shape of Me, I try to, I try to keep the group really tight. So I do not usually have more than 10 participants. And the reason why I do this is uh, to understand really what's going on with each person's body in, in the group, to see how they are uh, feeling at the end of each activity. Um, and usually I also request for an email with some information about each individual's condition or each participant's condition so that I'm equipped to handle um, anything that I need to modify or change uh, if I have, for example, I had somebody who got in touch with me and said, deaf person, and I would like to participate in your class. So I had to quickly get in touch with him separately. Like, all right, so if I gave you instructions, how would you, do you want me to, you know, have a visual aid? How can I communicate with you better? Um, so you customize said, it. Absolutely. So, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fully prepared for people who are, for the participants with respective conditions and to just be really aware like some people uh they might look like oh they're in a wheelchair it's not a big deal but you know there might be a lot of stiffness um in their limbs so even a little bit of uh, stretching and moving around they could get tired easily um and what happens in some classes that i've personally attended is that they'd be like go 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 keep going keep going and if someone's just you know giving up or they're not able to keep up with the pace they're just sitting in the corner and not doing anything but instead of making that person feel that they're not able to keep up with that session, if you kind of gave them the liberty to take a break as and when they need it, it feels very different. Of course. Yeah. And it's not, it's a lot more motivating when you're not feeling like you can't keep up with the others. Absolutely. And that you and should just sit in a corner by yourself and not do anything at all. Yeah. And you feel bad and, you know, you get tired and you get, and you just leave, uh, you know, and you don't want to come back to a class like that. Yeah. But I actually did go through something similar like that when I used to take, um, when I was a bit younger, I used to take hip hop lessons and uh, I I was very stiff in comparison to some of the other uh, participants. And I just Mm -hmm. remember I couldn't keep up with the routines. Like they'd already been practicing them for a while and I had just started. So obviously I didn't know the moves and keeping up was tough and sometimes I just get so demotivated like I can't do this you know and it's not like they stop the whole session just to focus on helping you you just have to do your own thing and kind of try to keep up and if you can't that's like too bad for you too bad for you exactly and I guess it depends on 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 the teachers that you're um, that you interact with and I get my experience is from teachers who paid attention who be like, all right, you want to dance, you have an interest in it, you're not going to give up, you're going to practice harder. And if that means you do an extra beginners level class, or you join or, you know, the session 20 minutes um, before your class time, and you put in the work so that you're ready for that class, then you do that and you show up for it. And then you have teachers who encourage you to do that. Because in the I remember uh, trying to um, uh, take jive lessons once. Um, and I, you know, I used to go to this place for jive classes every week. Um, and it was one of the classic examples where they had a differently abled participant, myself, and a room full of um, able-bodied people. They had no idea on how to pretty much cater to my requirement. Uh, but at the same time, they did not want to be rude and tell me not to come. And 
it was just the craziest experience I've had. I did keep going back. I'm like one of those people who just do not give up. It's like I keep hitting the wall and I just hit the wall harder. That's um, excellent. But it was it was hilarious because they just twist me around and turn me around and um, just and I'm like guys like my head spinning can you imagine somebody with sensitive nerves being spun around like that like in a hardcore jive session <laughs> like you like I my body was trembling <laughs> at the end of it and I was just like I'm not going to admit to this I'm going to try and be the big woman here I was a complete disaster because I just crumbled I couldn't even drive back home um, after one of those intense sessions wow um, but that's just what happens you know when you being respectful or telling somebody this class might not be right for you does not mean a complete no. You can find solutions. If you want to offer solutions or if you want to find solutions, they can be found, honestly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Fantastic. You just have to try and try and work a little bit harder on, you know, raising your own awareness, doing the research. Absolutely. And which is what I feel a lot of people who really want to do things, they end up like, I do this a lot to myself where I'm like, like this jive class, like I wouldn't, I was like, I'm not going to say no to this. I want to keep trying. And I didn't know, I had no idea what to do to make this better for myself. All I knew is that I wanted to learn how to jive. So, and I had <laughs> yeah. nothing to offer them as a solution because I come from a place of not knowing anything and and I struggled. I'm like, you know, so that I, and I know a lot of people who do this just because they want to do something. They keep showing up and they keep wearing themselves down. And then you're completely broken and then you can't push yourself any more than that because physically you've just exhausted yourself. I um, get it. Yeah. 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 And actually, I do want to touch on asking you about how did you decide that, okay, you know, I want to start working with people of determination and this is what I want to do. How, how did that thought process happen for you? Again, it was completely, I think, an accident. Just nothing I had planned for. It was um, multiple experiences, like even within uh, the same place uh, that I was learning uh, Kathak at, just the training I received from or the way I was treated by my guru Paliji versus, uh, let's say, another instructor who didn't really know um, how to deal with my body um, or my condition. It just, that's just a massive difference, a huge difference. And like I said, I just saw the sudden uh, spike in performances by differently abled people, especially within the South Asian circuit. And it was all very much centered around performing. Um, for sympathy votes, which just did not sit well with me. I was, oh, I was not, just yeah. like, I'm like, this does not have to be the case. Like, you know, it really does not have to be the case. Um, and I, and I, I did go to, I'm like, are you people, um, you know, there are a lot of teachers who are taking on different able people because it was good for them. It's like a good CSR initiative, really. I'm like, yeah, all right. This is great. This is great CSR, but what are these people getting? You know, they're not, I love that. They don't... I know that you are from a PR background, so yes, <laughs> you know I'm exactly what's up. <laughs> I know, right? And I can, I can smell it from miles away. I was like, oh my God, don't do it. Like just, there's just, do you know the, the power of intention can be so solid 
and very refreshing and very encouraging. But if your intention is to just, um, you know, look good, win, yeah, yeah, just look good in society, bag a few, um, you know, awards, and I'm like, you know, but what is this person getting? And the and the best part is because differently able people do not get good performance platforms um, or respectful performance platforms, they get. Ex- extremely excited by people or individuals are like oh come let's teach you a choreography or let me teach you this little act and you know you perform it and everyone's going to be so happy that you did it I'm like right but what's what's gone into delivering that what's gone into executing that like if you were to even practice one piece of choreography you'd have to like let's say let's say if you were to submit to it and if you did the same thing over and over again for about 60 days it's wonderful how your body changes. Like the shape of that choreography starts looking different. Yeah. And I'm like, here people are doing like, people are ready to be on stage in like 24 hours. And then I hate the whole, uh, like there are a lot of people with cerebral palsy who have delayed uh, speech so or, you know, slurred speech. And they probably take a little longer to complete a sentence. And I see, and these are adults. They are not just because they have a condition, they may look frail or they might, they might look, the body structures might look smaller, but that does not mean they're a child. They, these are adults. They're people in their 20s, some of them in their 30s. And it is very concerning when other individuals talk down to these disabled people like they are five-year-olds or three-year-olds and complete their sentences and don't let them hold their own ground and I'm like don't take over their space like that that's right. not okay that's just not okay of course yeah excellent insights yes thank you it's so um awful like you said the fact that people do that yeah I, I think it's it's just a societal thing where any disability is looked down upon um, absolutely I, I keep giving these ex- massive example can you imagine if you met an individual with you know peppered hair and just a face that was not conventional really wiry individual like on a wheelchair barely able to speak a thing and you know using multiple gadgets to communicate with the people around you and if you were introduced to a person like this and imagine if you started going all gaga goo goo uh, baby talk basically oh how today or to board and do all that cutesy business and imagine someone turned around and told you oh by the way that's Stephen King uh, Hawking right you'd be you'd be like what the hell did I just do like if you had of course the privilege of meeting Stephen Hawking when he was still alive that is that's what I'm saying how can how can anyone estimate what is the capacity of the individual in front of you just on the basis of that individual looks Yep. It's just like you said, it's assumptions and all these pre-assumptions that we have based on a person's um, appearance. Absolutely. And we're conditioned. Yeah. We're conditioned to do that. It's very human. I'm not saying it's wrong. You can do it where it's necessary. But if not, and you know, some people overcompensate. They're like, they're too rigid and they're too stiff. And they, they're like, oh, you're differently able. That's okay. Just a part of the team. I don't mean to be that indifferent. Like, just... You know, a little bit of sensibility and sensitivity, a good balance of that is, is right. just enough. Of course, yeah. Um, so, Ansi, now, how would someone be able to participate in one of your workshops and how often do you usually have them? Uh, so, 
pre-COVID, I uh, I did try to have a session once a month. So obviously, COVID's changed things for us. Um, I have to say, I'm a huge fan of people being in a physical space to just you know uh, experience energy of humans in the same space is definitely a notch about doing things online. So during this COVID period, I've really had only two sessions. I can't wait to have another session, even if it means just four to five participants, um, a physical session soon. Hopefully that that'll be possible. Um, so I have a page on um, Facebook. Um, it's called Creability. So people can um, just follow that page if they want to be updated on. Um, yeah, and we will workshops. link it in our show notes for sure. Yeah, wonderful. Or I, I'm usually, um, majority of my posts on, on my Instagram handle are also about these sessions. So if anyone wants to do that, they can just keep an eye out on that as well. Do you want to uh, share your handle as well? Just I would. I'd be happy to. Yeah. So Great. that's just um, Ansi. Just look for Ansi Alexander on Instagram. And if it's Creability on Facebook, if you're more a Facebook person, you can just... Creability is just K-R-I-Y-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And now, Ansi, what message are you trying to send out through your workshops ah very simple just to enjoy the process just to enjoy the process Ah, of movement yeah just enjoy movement uh own your own movement and uh, if people can be more involved in exploring their own authentic movement as opposed to being stressed about mirroring another body's movement that's it Very nice. So you've had an incredible journey up until now and some amazing experiences. Can you tell us one of your proudest moments up until now? One of my proudest moments up until now. uh, Wow. That'd be, um, I guess, just being able, one of the last performances, I'd I'd finished a performance and, you know, when we're done with it, we come back and uh, fortunately my entire family was there. Um, My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister-in-law, uh, they were there watching uh, the show. Uh, so when I came out after the performance, uh, my dad had tears in his eyes and my brother was tearing Aww. up. My sister-in-law was tearing up. So and, and that happened. And I remember it was uh, that performance happened when I was having a very particularly difficult uh, phase physically in life because of a complication in my feet of, because of the way I walk and because of the struggles uh, of the condition. So I had I had done a piece. Um, my piece was very expression-based and it was a seated performance. I didn't want to execute um, a very physically demanding uh, piece standing up because I couldn't. It was, it was not possible um, at that point. And so it was a very uh, expression-heavy seated piece. And my, this is my dad, my brother, my sister-in-law all tearing up and my mom uh, said this super crazy cool thing where she's like, I spent all these years taking you for dance classes and trainings. And she's like, and you perform fully seated? Like, why? Do you not have legs to stand on? And I was like, go mom. Like, that's such a tiger mom. Like, she's like, and it was not about how much I put into the show. It wasn't about how hard I worked to make that performance happen. My own family and other members of my family tearing up because they were moved by it. Here is this little, little lady like going off at me, going, 
why did you not do a more physical piece? Where were your legs? I'm so disappointed. It's like, yeah, right, mom. Thanks. Thank you so oh. much for that. <laughs> Always pushing you to strive for more. Oh, Excellent. So that was that was definitely a very interesting moment. Well, big props to your mom for being so strong and tough with you and pushing absolutely. you to always strive for better. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's interesting to have uh, energy like that. Uh, to, like, there's no. Well, I'm sure no that's where you get it from as well. All your energy to do everything I'm, I'm you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. I'm like, you know, I have. I have no, I just, I'm like, they look at it, like, look at my mom, like, she's just, 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 all right, okay, then. I have no <laughs> space whatsoever for self-pity. Now, Ansi, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your thoughts with us. Um, we really enjoyed that. Yes, uh, thank have, you so much. Thank yeah, you, ladies. We have now come to the segment of our show where we will each ask you a couple of rapid-fire questions. It's like a little game Ooh. show that we like to play. So first thing that pops into your mind, go for it. Okay, you ready? Oh, wow. I hope so. Be Don't worry, it's like really easy stuff. Okay, your favorite style of dance? Barnatim. Coffee or tea? Tea, of course. Favorite song? <laughs> Our favorite song. There's this beautiful uh, song from Khudakili, It's a piece that... Uh, my guru Pali Chandra um, shared with me once and said, Ansi, meditate on it. I've not performed on it yet, but it's a song that just, just a precious part of my heart. Nirbharan. Um, yeah, that's the song. Beautiful. Lovely. Martial arts or yoga? Martial arts. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for playing along with our little game show. Um, that was fun. <laughs> before we wrap up, we would like to do our green pull moment. So right. for our segment, the Green Pill moment, we'd like to ask you if you took the Green Pill to go back in time and change one thing about your journey, what would it be? So like I said, I, I lost my very first guru in uh, dance, um, Natrajan Sir, just last month. And, and off the back of that, I can, I can definitely tell that if, if I was more sensible as a child and if I did not run away from dance class to join karate class that if I could go back to that time if I could just have a few more years of training under sir uh, to, you know to truly live as his disciple if I if I could go back in time and make that happen a hundred percent I would do that wow what a lovely thought Thank you for sharing that for, with us. And thank you so much, Auntie, for sharing your fantastic and your inspiring story with us today. I am so sure thank our you. audience uh, will thoroughly enjoy this conversation, just as we have. Thank you, Hilmarie, and thank you, Sharon. This has been a wonderful chat. Uh, thank you for the opportunity once again. Really delighted that uh, I was able to get on this uh, platform with both of you all. Well, we are delighted to have had you on as well. And we wish you nothing but the best with all your future endeavors. Thank, Thank you. you. If you enjoy our conversations, please like and subscribe. See you next Wednesday.